This week's person defied destiny. Born to a wealthy noble family in Celestia in 1909, she made her mark on history in mankind's darkest hour. She was Countess Maria von Maltzen, World War II's upper-class rebel. Welcome to Persona, stories of fascinating people. Let's get started with, well, let's set the scene. From 1933 to 1945, Nazi Germany was under the control of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party. After coming to power, the Nazis banned and oppressed everything they felt was a threat to the Third Reich. Jewish property was often confiscated, violence against them was encouraged, and never prosecuted. The Nazis quickly gained total control over every level of German society. They formed their own military, the SS, and their own police, the Gestapo. These two groups have become synonymous with war crimes. Nothing seemed to go unnoticed by the Gestapo, so anybody undertaking anti-Nazi aims had to tread as soft as silk. Countess Maria was one of these people. She's sometimes referred to as a member of the German resistance. Now, there's a problem with that label, and that's that there really wasn't a German resistance. There was many groups doing many things that were considered resistant to the Nazi regime, but they were not a unified group. In fact, all these separate groups didn't even really know about each other, or at least know what each other were up to. So, to call it the resistance is uh, tricky. Few historians have called it a resistance without the people, meaning that while there were some general attitudes favoring change, there was very little action undertaken on that front. For example, there was the communists, mostly led by the KDP, and they wanted to do espionage, and they were able to gather a lot of intel, but didn't really result in anything actionable that they could send to, say, the Soviets. Mostly, they just made up and distributed pamphlets about Nazi atrocities. There was also the Christian churches, who organized a few protests against, for example, the youth of, use of euthanasia on the disabled. But these protests were limited and quickly broken up. There's also members of the military establishment who tried to assassinate Hitler, but they, due to seemingly constant bad luck, couldn't get the job done. Now, none of these groups, the military, the communists, the churches, and the other groups that made up what is called the German resistance, really trusted or even knew what each other were up to. The circles that they kept had to be tight, airtight, because the Nazi police state was so effective that nothing ever managed to get very far. The most successful resistors, the ones who actually got something done, were dead pretty quickly. Most of the ones who survived either confined their activities to protecting their neighbors or private acts of defiance, like listening to illegal jazz music. Maria, though, was no coward, and so she wasn't afraid of these obstacles that were set up in front of her, and she managed to accomplish a lot in spite of her courage, because, well, bravery would attract attention back then. But before I move on to her and her situation, what she accomplished, I do want to address one more thing. I do touch on politics on this show occasionally, but I rarely go very far in depth. 
because I'm aware that everything that's written about politics is to some extent propaganda. Every writer has some beliefs of their own that they want to advocate through their writing, and a lot of times they end up like historical chiropractors, adjusting history until it cracks. Political theorists and political philosophers are the worst offenders, but even regular old historians are guilty of bias, and they'll tell you that. If that weren't true, there would be no difference of opinion among historians on, for example, the German resistance. Notice how I didn't say all that much about them, I didn't go very far into details, you could do a whole episode on them, but almost every thesis about them is controversial, so I limited my comments to what's provable. It would be nice to stick with, you know, accepted facts. So when talking about someone who resisted Hitler, it's easier to get caught up in the message than it is to critically evaluate them, because, well... Hitler was one of the worst things ever. He's recognized as that almost worldwide. And his Nazi regime was built on inherently hateful and racist ideas. But, and I do hate to say but when talking about Nazis, but that doesn't mean that we blindly accept the story of everyone who was against him. It's a balance. And you have to hit that balance when you're trying to get close to truth. What that means is that we don't deify people. We're not doing whataboutism. We're not trying to give validity to the Nazis or what they said. We're just going in knowing that anyone can bend the truth or leave out unpleasant facts, whether they were on the, quote, right side or not. And some propaganda has a grain of truth, and perspectives influence how someone presents the world. So with all that in mind, what do we say about Maria, Countess Maria von Maltzen? Well... Maria was very cool. Firstly, Maria was a veterinarian, which is like a doctor who doesn't think they're God. And no vet has ever delivered a baby that became Hitler, which, I assume, a doctor has. I don't know the full details of Hitler's birth, but I'm pretty sure a vet wasn't the attendant physician. Instead, vets help dogs and hamsters and cats, none of whom are Nazis. Although, I could see a cat being like some kind of fascist. Next, she once pretended to speak a language no one had ever heard of so she could claim to be a foreign dignitary and sit in the expensive seats at the 1936 Berlin Olympics without an invitation. She and her husband at the time just sort of walked up and started speaking gibberish. They were dressed nicely, they claimed to be foreign dignitaries, and nobody could understand much of what they were saying, so, well, they just let them through. Which makes you wonder why it was so hard to kill Hitler, because they ended up just a few seats away from him. I guess confidence and nice clothes are all you need to pass yourself off as some kind of diplomat. But most cool of the things that Maria did was that she saved the lives of dozens, maybe hundreds, of Jews. Maria had always been a rebellious sort of person. Her mother didn't want her to study zoology. She went and studied zoology. Germans thought that she was uncouth and had behavior unbecoming of a young lady. Well, she just moved to Africa. She came back uh, once her mother was dead in the 1930s. Her brother was a Nazi sympathizer. She name-dropped him to get away with anti-Nazi activities. That's the only appropriate use of name-dropping, by the way. If she'd been born at a different time, she may have had trouble deciding what to do with her life, as nonconformists often do. They want to fight the system. But in more stable times, in more ordinary times, it's hard to know what the system really is or how best to fight it. 
A lot of wannabe rebels end up propping up otherwise traditional elements just because the people in their immediate circle eschew them. But Maria happened to be around when one of the most systemic of systems came into being. Like we said, the Nazi government had control of every level of German life. It was pervasive. They posted supervisors in almost every workplace and apartment building to report on people who weren't living up to the Nazi way of life. It was efficient. It was a vast bureaucracy, and yet it still managed to collect actionable intel. And it claimed one clear and absurd enemy, jewelry. Not jewelry, jewelry. So it became obvious how to fight the system. Be good to Jews. Simple and dangerous. Maria even secretly started a romantic relationship with a Jewish man, which was verboten in the strongest way. She hid him in her apartment just before the deportations to concentration camps started, and worked with churches and opposition groups to export as many of Berlin's 150,000 Jews as possible. One method involved smuggling them out of the country in sealed crates from the Swedish church in Berlin. The Swedish church was promised by the authorities that their cargo would be unsearched as it went back to Sweden, but ferrying Jewish people out of Berlin was like taking a kill from a lion's mouth. So, they arranged a rendezvous point outside of the city. The hopeful refugees would slip out of the city on foot and then hop on the train in the forest at its unofficial stop. Maria was tasked with leading the group of 60 or so. They caught their train to neutral Sweden without a hitch, and freedom was theirs. Maria, though, had additional problems. She now had to slip back into Berlin, which wasn't easy because the Gestapo had gotten wind of some illegal life-saving going on and released the hounds. They scoured the forest and got pretty close to catching the renegade noblewoman. She had to spend uh, two nights and a day in a tree, slathered herself in horse manure, and trudged through a river to throw off the dogs. The authorities never figured out that it was she who had helped spare away the hopeless Hebrews, but once she got back, she was in really bad shape. Now, just because she wasn't caught doesn't mean that the Gestapo wasn't suspicious of her. From 1941 till the end of the war, they were parked outside of her apartment pretty much constantly. See, up till then, she was seen as pretty much a member of an untouchable class. Her brother was a known Nazi sympathizer, and she was a member of the old elite. She was a countess, after all. This class was not expected to sympathize with the Jews very much, or be communist or anything else that might uh, be considered anti-Nazi. They were patriotic, out of touch with the suffering classes, and likely to blindly support anything that was supposed to bring glory to Germany. So Maria was able to use those assumptions to sit above suspicion for a long time. But as the war dragged on, the Gestapo started to get paranoid. Really, the whole of the Nazi elite got jumpy. People kept trying to kill Hitler. The Allies seemed to have spies everywhere, and Jews kept getting away. So everyone became a suspect, and the crime was always treason. Some 77,000 people were executed in Nazi, basically, show trials during the regime for supposed resistance activities. It's not even clear how many of those were guilty of their supposed crimes. The fact that Maria escaped that fate is amazing, considering that they were suspicious of her. 
She came pretty close, actually, to getting caught another time, in addition to the chase through the forest while covered in horse manure episode. The Gestapo came by to search her house, convinced that they'd find a Jew. The thing is, they would have, because there was one, hiding in the sofa. One of the agents requested to see the trunk under her sofa, which was hiding the hider, to which Maria replied that she didn't care if he shot it so long as he gave her a receipt for the damage. Her confidence was enough to scare him off, and so the concealed Jew remained concealed. War is bad. People who stop people from being killed are usually good. Maria stopped people from being killed. That's way more than you can say for most Germans at the time. A lot of them knew that their neighbors' rights were being trampled and did the square root of nothing about it. Some of them even did negative nothing, which is to say that they participated in the thing. They shamed conscientious objectors, some joined the SS, or encouraged their children to do so, and happily accepted the plundered Jewish property. It's for this reason that Israel lists Maria as righteous among the nations, a label they give to the few who actually did something about the raging anti-Semitism of the regime. Because that's the thing, is... Most people in Germany weren't the virulent anti-Semites that the Nazis wanted them to be. Yes, a lot, maybe even most, we don't really have polling data, were anti-Semites to some extent. Hitler didn't create German anti-Semitism. Europeans in general had been suspicious of Jews for centuries. But how many Germans do you think believed that all Jews should be exterminated? How many believed with that extreme genocidal viewpoint. Very few. We know that because Hitler neglected to tell the public what he was doing. To say that the German public knew about the Holocaust, which some historians do, is completely unsupported. But in spite of that, hardly anyone did anything about what they could see happening. They knew that Jews were being rounded up and sent into camps. They knew that their property was being stolen, including their houses, as they were being rounded up into ghettos often coupled with hooligan-like street violence from the SS. Maybe the German people who saw this and didn't do anything just didn't care enough to overcome their fear of the regime. Maybe they just didn't think much about what was going on. Or maybe they were happy enough to see Jews and others get what they thought they deserved. Now, could any ordinary German have stopped the Holocaust? Probably not. The military and political establishment was happy to have Hitler in charge and make trouble for Germany's enemies. Once he had them on his side, Hitler had momentum that couldn't be easily stopped. But all laymen and ordinary people could have done something. Hide an oppressed person, help someone escape, sneak food into ghettos. Something. Don't get me wrong, some did. But reading contemporary accounts, a lot of survivors talk about how their neighbors and acquaintances privately remarked to them that what was going on wasn't right, but they were unwilling to act. Was it fear? Was it indifference? Was it maybe a slight desire to see the things change the way they were? It's not completely clear. But there was a reason why Hitler operated the way he did. He started with the most unpopular groups. Jews had, in the aftermath of World War I, been the common scapegoat, and they had a distinct culture and a tendency toward politics that some found 
threatening, unconventional. They were considered not real Germans, so when they were attacked, it wasn't considered so bad by a lot of people. The Roma were similarly, they were seen as criminals and dirty and, well, nobody was too sad to see them go. Jehovah's Witnesses were, well, they were taking followers away from the popular churches and they saw themselves as transcending nationalism, a cornerstone of Nazi ideology. So they had to go and there wasn't that many of them and nobody missed them. Freemasons were keeping secrets and who knows what they were up to, so a lot of people could write them off. Communists were a political threat. Homosexuals didn't conform to the society that the Nazis wanted to build. But you notice that each of these groups, with the exception of the communists and the Jews, were very small minorities in German society, and they were already, all of them, unpopular. So when they started to go, well, nobody really felt like standing up for them that much. And once the propaganda ray from Goebbels was trained on the German minds, well, anybody could be the bad guy. It's really, really hard to stand up to constant brainwashing as you're told that somebody's life doesn't matter. And he could get people to stomach the destruction of these groups because a lot of folks thought that, well, could, would it be so bad if we didn't have any more of them? Or if they were at least pushed to the side of society and let us regular people, quote, get on with our lives. That's what makes Maria unusual. She had an attuned sense of justice that allowed her to see past the prejudice that she was surrounded by. If she'd been born in another time and place, she would have probably been a historical footnote, a wealthy heiress who became a veterinarian. Unusual? Sure, most women did not pursue that career at the time, but not that noteworthy. But because of the time and place that she was in, she was able to use her nature for good. She developed an important quality to develop, a sense of fairness that's not dictated by others. You need to be able to stand up for what you believe in without thinking of how popular a decision that would be. I don't like it when, in modern times, people compare others to Hitler. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that, partly because the comparisons are rarely very well thought out. Usually it just has to do with somebody being authoritarian, where, you know, you could find lots of closer parallels for an authoritarian person. And partly because you overuse that word, and then it becomes meaningless, turning it into background noise. But mostly, I dislike it because it discounts a fundamental truth. You never see your Hitler coming. It's very easy to point fingers at somebody else and say, see, that person is changing the way you see the world. That person wants you to do something that you wouldn't even consider otherwise. But it's very hard to see that for yourself. Your Hitler could be anybody. It's just someone who convinces you to betray the rights of others, to betray your conscience, for the sake of something supposedly greater. It doesn't have to be politics even. It's just somebody who wants you to sell out other people for the alleged greater good. Now this is a very brief warning, cautionary tale that we can learn from that era, that very terrible era of human history. It's all that I can really give you in this short amount of time, but think critically about what you're given. That doesn't mean mindless contrarianism, just disagreeing with something that's popular because it's popular. 
doesn't mean becoming a gadfly. It means that you need to stop and think about what you're told. What does that really mean? What's behind it? What does it lead to? What's the real evidence for these claims? And why does somebody care so much that you believe it? Because if you don't do that, you're going to get Hitlered. Well, the war ended in 1945, and, well, things started to get strange all over again. Germany became the axis on which the world turned for a while after that, as it began to split between East and West. West being uh, controlled by the Americans, British, and French, and the East being controlled by the Russians. As for Maria, she stayed in Berlin after the war, in West Berlin, and the post-war years weren't kind to her. She married, but then soon divorced the man that she had been uh, hiding in her house, though they did remarry later in their middle age. And she struggled to make a living. She recalled scrubbing floors in a psychiatric hospital to make ends meet for a while there. She also got addicted to narcotics at some point. Some think that the stress of the war caught up to her afterwards, and well, that wouldn't be surprising. It happened to a lot of veterans of the war and a lot of civilians, especially ones like Maria, put their lives on the line in the defense of others. She languished in obscurity for quite some time after the war. Now, her post-war story isn't unusual. A lot of people who distinguished themselves with their admirable actions with regard to the Holocaust were ignored by society afterwards. Actually, this continues to be an issue in Germany. Many Germans only have a spotty knowledge of the Holocaust or the Second World War at all. I remember a German friend of mine, by no means an uneducated person, not long ago asked me who Anne Frank was. How did this happen? Well, there was a few factors that go into it. One, the aftermath of the war was a confusing time for Germans. They had to come to grips with just how wrong what they were told was, that the propaganda was almost completely false and that they were now the battleground for the new Cold War. Also, introspection, judging your own culture and realizing that what you believed was wrong is difficult and a slow process. A lot of people didn't want to do it. They just wanted to move on, not be reminded of how their inaction, or in some cases their direct action, led to so much pain and death. Uh, there's a story in the New York Times from 1984 when HBO was filming a movie based on Maria's life in Berlin, an elderly woman approached the crew and complained, why can't they make movies about something else? Keep in mind, the Holocaust wasn't even 40 years old at that point, and she was already tired of hearing about it. I guess nobody likes being told that what they did or what their family did was wrong, but it's amazing how quickly they just wanted to move on, how so many people just wanted to forget that history. A history that, by the 1980s, hadn't even been told very thoroughly yet. It wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s that real popular Holocaust scholarship was going on in the West, and the stories of survivors started being published more and more. So, the heroes and victims were not immediately praised or remembered. Maria was obscure for quite a while after the war, well, Really, she still is obscure. The only, what, two books have been written about her, and one of them was written by herself. But the lives she saved didn't forget her. 
and they kept on contributing to make sure that she kept going. She tried to get her life back on track. She made some efforts to open a veterinary practice, but it wasn't tremendously successful. Some fame did come to her through this, though, when she offered to treat dogs owned by punks for free, sticking by the nonconformist aesthetic well into her 80s. When she did publish her autobiography finally in 1986, Beat the Drums and Be Without Fright, it raised her public profile a little bit and helped her get back on her feet. Yet, she continued to live in the same humble situation in which she'd found herself after the war. Her tiny Berlin apartment was in a neighborhood full of immigrants, mostly from Poland and Turkey. Prejudice followed these new groups wherever they stayed, but Maria, never one to let others tell her how to feel, was right at home among them. It's said that, in spite of the constant crime in the area, her home was never burgled out of respect for her reputation as an ally of the oppressed. She died at 88 in 1997. She was a great example of bravery under pressure, a compassionate soul, and a rebel to the end. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please feel free to subscribe and tune in next time where our person will be Sheikh Dean Muhammad, the first Indian author in English. If you want to support the show, well, I did write a book that you can buy on Amazon called Ireland's Forgotten County, a guide to Donegal. Please also visit my website, jasperhudson.com, for more content like this.